When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Steve Cook with the throw. Swept goal is by Daniels. And back in by Arter. And it's finished by Josh King. Bournemouth bring problems for Liverpool again. They strike Lake in it. And Bournemouth are level at Anfield. Welcome to episode 46 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Well, it's been a few days now since Cherries effectively confirmed their Premier League status, and this week, Michael Dunn will be joining me to chat all things Cherries. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty, if you'd like to feature as a guest on the podcast, then have a listen to this. So, we're now up to episode 46 of Back of the Net, and this equates to a ridiculous amount of minutes, seconds and hours, which has been lovingly put together by myself, Sean, Michael and others along the way. Now, next season, time is going to be even more precious than ever before. Sean has baby number two on the way, work for me is going crazy, so to ensure continuation of Back of the Net next season, we'd like to hear from you. All we need from you is an email to fans at afcbpodcast.com to let us know what you can help us with. If you can spare 30 minutes once a week to have an informal chat with us about the cherries, be it over Skype or over a beer in the pub, let me know. If you're able to write or preferably read a feature from an article that you've written, let me know. If you can record a few thoughts from your mates during or after a game, let me know. Or if you're able to source some audio and some questions for a Do You Remember feature, you get the idea. Let me know. If we've got a list of about 20 or so people that we can turn to for help and assistance, then Back of the Net really can be a collective of cherry voices, rather than a Sean, Sam and Michael thing. Our aim as a podcast is to reflect the opinions of Bournemouth fans. We want to make Back of the Net more inclusive, not only because we think it'll sound better to have more voices on the show, but also because it will hopefully reduce the time it takes to put together. So email fans at afcbpodcast.com and let us know how you can help us. We're looking forward to hearing from you. So yes, please do get in touch, because at the moment, during the early part of the week at least, as a freelance web developer, I'm having to bat off clients who are chasing websites in favour of producing the free podcast every week. And my, my other half looks at me and thinks, why? Why are you doing it? Well, as much as my conscience doesn't want to let down those who enjoy it, we do sadly need some help to keep it running. But hey, if we don't get any emails this week, at least we can say we gave it a bloody good go and we covered the 2016-17 season at least pretty damn well. But anyway, on to somewhat brighter things, and here's what's coming up on this week's show. 
Michael provides his match report from the 1-0 victory at the Stadium of Light, and whilst sending Sunderland down, the win effectively secures our safety in the top flight. So Michael's going to stay on with us and chat about the game, no doubt expressing his unbridled joy at Cherry's enjoying another season in the limelight. With the season coming to a close, it's once again time for Back of the Net's End of Season Awards. The voting will be open very soon and we'll give you a list of the 10 categories. Now, voting will be opening right after the next podcast, Exciting Times, so do stay tuned for that. Michael and I will then discuss all things cherries this week including the youth side going down to amazing stoke in the hampshire cup the umbro shirt deal and also the meteoric rise of josh king will we see him in a cherry shirt next season will we see jermaine defoe in a cherry shirt next season who knows then we'll finish by previewing our next match against Stoke City. Now, Cherries have their second chance of securing a Premier League double, and with the boys in pretty fine form, Michael and myself make their predictions on the match. But first on Back of the Net, before Michael gets stuck in with the report, Back of the Net would not be Back of the Net without Do You Remember? So, do you remember? Bradbury. Pell will get there first, or he should have done. And Bell has been compromised. And it is Richard Pell who steps in. Bradbury now. He's got Bartley just ahead of it. Support arriving now from Anderton. Anderton's had a go! And it's skimmed the studs of Gary Brown. It'll be a corner this to Bournemouth. White Spartans aren't happy. Driven in by Anderson. Here's Hollands. Fantastic attempt by Danny Hollands. Bournemouth in the second half applying far more pressure. Bournemouth's greatest FA Cup success way back in 1984 when Harry Redknapp's team put out the holders Manchester United. Bought by Guyatt. Here's Bradbury. Holland's shot has been deflected away and back to Bradbury. It's Bradbury. That is a fantastic stop by Bell. McCoy. Fouled by Bell. Richard Bell, in truth, hasn't put a foot wrong in this second half. Until then. It's set up for Anderton. Missed time, Bell wasn't stretched. So there you go, there is commentary from a Cherries match gone by. I think it was actually live on Satanta Sport, so that gives you an idea of when we're talking. But firstly, I want you to tell me the opposition. The second question is name the scores in both the original cup tie and the replay. And thirdly, in the replay, there was a Cherries player that got sent off. Can you tell me who it was? and how long it took him to get sent off too. So there you go, name the opposition, name the scores, and who got sent off after how long. Stay tuned.
Hmm, so think you know it? If so, stay tuned, uh, enjoy us bantering about the cherries and uh, stick around till the very end where we will reveal all. However, now let's just roll back a few days and relive the victory at Sunderland and clearing his throat now and in the match report booth behind that glass screen is the ever-reliable Michael Dunn. Eternally mighty Cherries all but secured a third season in the Premier League on Saturday, with a late goal to win for the very first time at Sunderland and end the Mackham's decade-long stay in the top tier. Eddie made just one change to the starting eleven, with Lewis Cook replacing the injured Dan Gosling in midfield, whilst Jordan and I returned to the squad after a two-game absence to fill the seat vacated on this bench by Cook the Younger. Bournemouth had the better of the opening exchanges as David Moyes' side looked nervy from the off. The Sunderland players frequently surrendered possession, allowing us to remain on the front foot, but as Jordan Pickford proved in the corresponding fixture at Dean Court in November, it takes more than a scuffed shot from Josh King to beat him. At the other end, Arthur Boritz was called into action after the home side had finally settled a little, making an impressive save from a Fabio Bruni effort which appeared to move at right angles as it hurtled towards goal. We then had the best chance of the half when Benikafobi used his strength to hold off a couple of black cats before threading the ball through to King. The Norwegian had clearly noticed that we have recently dropped behind Spurs and Man City in the hit the woodwork table and made the most of the opportunity to get us back on top by hitting a superb curling effort which looked certain to put us in front before hitting the crossbar and then bouncing out off the post. Jermaine Defoe then had a gilt-edged chance to give Sunderland the lead when an Ibrahim Ndong header put Mr. Row in yards from Boritz's goal. With memories of his purple patch on the south coast all those years ago and rumours of a return to Dean Court swirling around in his head, the striker did the decent thing and volleyed into the grateful arms of our big pole. Afobe, who had been looking more like the aggressive frontman we all hope he can be, had our next best chance of the half when he got on the end of a Mark Pugh cutback but... With Pickford for once looking beaten, his goal-bound effort was blocked by Lamine Kone. The rebound then fell to King, but at an awkward angle and his follow-up was cleared off the line by Donald Love. After the break, we continued to create chances without seriously threatening Pickford's goal. Pugh saw a gentle header easily saved, but came closer with a cold strike which whistled past the far post. On 57 minutes, Afobi was forced to go off with a hamstring injury, and his departure heralded a period of the second half which saw the home side seize the initiative. Boris was called into action to parry a fizzer from Barini and had to stand strong when the Italian slipped in George Honeyman, who we can only assume was donning a cloak of invisibility, such was the complete absence of any reaction from our defence when the Sunderland substitute ran into the box. The holy goalie was required to save the day again a little later when he palmed away a shot from Love which had found its way through a crowded penalty area. For all the home side's endeavours, the game remained somewhat flat until the fat was well and truly thrown onto the fire thanks to a dust-up between most of the players on the pitch after Barini appeared to run his trailing boot down the back of Lewis Cook's calf with a quarter of an hour to play. Harry Arter was first on the scene and chose to throw verbal as opposed to actual punches whilst Coney was grabbing our central defenders by the throat. Referee Stuart Atwell missed this but booked Arter and Barini whilst they were rearranging the items in their handbags. The temperature was now raised and it was soon had to wave away penalty claims at both ends when first King went to ground after a tug on the shoulder from Kone 
and then Francis inadvertently kicked Wabi Kazri's ankle. This left the game looking most likely to end in a stalemate, but two minutes from time, our travelling support's long journey home became significantly less arduous. After winning the ball in midfield, Luce Mousset found Fraser in the penalty box, and the wee man threaded his pass through two Sunderland defenders to give the unmarked King an easy finish for his 15th goal of the campaign. Any chance for dramatic equaliser from the Black Cats looked unlikely, as the air was visibly sucked out of the home side, with the majority of their fans calling for Moy's head, with those that weren't heading for the exit. Sunderland's demise is of little concern to us, however, and after a barren spell over January and February, Eddie Howe has once again proved himself to be the King of Spring. The jitters we felt in those long, dark winter months were certainly genuine, but our cherries have not been in the relegation zone once this season, and barring a turnaround of mind-blowing proportions in the remaining fixtures, we won't be going there now. Mm, yeah, too true. Eddie Howe, the King of Spring. Now, if you want to be like Michael and contribute to the podcast, please email us, fans at afcbpodcast.com. So... I've chosen the song this week, and Sunderland fans, I'm very sorry, but shall I? Oh, cut. let's just press play. Sunderland have been appalling all season, but it really did show today. They did actually put a lot of fight into this game, and it didn't. Did they held on to the 88th minute until Bournemouth and Josh King put it into the back of the net past Jordan Pickford to secure the three points and the relegation of Sunderland. But it was such an open game, end-to-end stuff. Both teams had really good opportunities to take their side into the lead. But it didn't fall till the late ends of the game, for till we took all three points ahead of the game. So they lost one 0 at home to Bournemouth in a game where beforehand David Moyes comes out and says we've forgotten how to win games. Now, I'm not an expert, but when I've forgotten something, I usually look in the last place I've seen it. Now, you know, with a football match, how about you just show them the last time they won a game and say, lads, could you? Do that again. Since Saturday, obviously, I've had a couple of days to think about it. But I just the minute I saw Sunderland relegated from the Premier League, I was gutted, angry, all that cliched emotions everyone else is feeling. But as time goes on, I'm just a bit like, okay, you know. And that's the sad thing, because I shouldn't be feeling that way. I should be angry. And they've just got relegated. You know, so th- this needs this needs to be sorted, and it needs to be sorted quickly. They just went down too easily today. You know, it was it was all right. They had a couple of half chances, but they never got up ahead of steam. They never put pressure on Bournemouth for like long parts of the game where you could, the crowd could get off their seat and get excited. They just didn't do that. And at the end, when they had to go and chase the game, it was it was just all too easy. Fraser to King. Who is what? Eleven goals in twelve games. Yeah, wow, it's a great run. which is brilliant. So.
So there you heard the voice from Matt from AFCB TV, the true Geordie from his YouTube channel. He's a he's a Newcastle fan, if you hadn't guessed. Always one to gloat on their rival's demise. We had Sunderland fan Michael there, as well as Paul Merson's assessment on proceedings too. And now, as we said earlier, we have the voice of Michael Dunn. Michael, how are you? I'm all right, Sam. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, very well. And thank you very much for staying on uh, to do the match chat this week. I love the report. And <laughs> like you say, it, it was an uncomfortable atmosphere at the Stadium of Light with the sort of moisy out chance. Not quite toxic like Newcastle was last season, but the fans certainly not happy. But I gather as a Cherries fan, you're definitely happy, right? Oh, delighted, obviously. It was a big win. Um, gets us virtually across the line. It's not completely confirmed but it would take a you know a massive turnaround for us to well even get anywhere near the relegation zone now i think so yeah it was great to nick it at the end a point would have been enough really mm. um i thought it was quite an even game yeah. um sunderland were in the last chance saloon they had that as motivation and it was i mean for them yeah i mean their fans have had a terrible time of it really yeah. this season in particular but going back a few seasons and um, this season's just must have been a nightmare. And Moyes, I don't know, he was one minute he seemed to be the you know the man. He was going to Man United. He'd had good <laughs> years at Everton, and and then it just it's gone from well seems to have gone from bad to worse for him. And you know, I don't think he's going to be there next season. But I mean, I haven't followed it closely enough. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't there was a bit of gloating from some Bournemouth fans about putting Sunderland down. Mm. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really bother me either way. I don't take any particular pleasure from it. If it was them or us, and mm. it was the last game of the season and we'd have beaten them 1-0, then I might have taken a little bit more pleasure from it. But no, it's just good to get the points and a bit of revenge for the, the way they beat us at our place back in, I think it was November. And they did that with 10 men for half an hour as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we're above 40 points and everything's looking Looking much brighter than the last time I spoke to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, I mean, that was their 23rd defeat of the season. And, and like you say, it just it just makes that defeat we had to them at the Vitality even more bizarre, wasn't it? Because it was certainly against the odds. I think, uh, you know, it was one all for a, for a time. And then sort of towards the end, they, you know, they made it 2-1. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the match on Saturday, formation-wise, I... I don't think anyone was surprised. Of course, we knew that Gosling was out and Lewis Cook was likely to step back in. Did anything else really take you by surprise by that lineup? No, not at all. It was exactly as I expected. I mean, sometimes you get hushed up problems, injuries, illnesses, and then you only find out when the team sheet comes out. But I think that was the best team you could have put on the pitch. It was certainly what I expected. Pugh and Fraser on the wings, like you said, Cook coming into the midfield. Hmm. And I was pretty sure he'd play two up front as he did. And I thought it worked well. I thought Fabi had a good game. I thought it was one of his better games actually for us. I mean, yeah. he didn't score, but he certainly um, put it about a bit more. Um, he was instrumental in the goal. And it was, it was a shame he went off. I think he's growing as a player. I mean, he, he's obviously got plenty of critics and I've been one of them from time to time. And he can yeah. be frustrating to watch. But, you know, he scored, I think, three or four goals in the past maybe nine games. And... I think he's. I think he's got you know lots of potential. It's just a shame he's not probably not going to be able to finish the season off if he's got a hamstring injury. Mm, yeah, that's right. Um, and it was interesting because I think it was a, a sort of misplaced pass from a Fobe that sort of created one of the one of the early chances for Sunderland, and that was that um, Barini shot. Now, until this, until this shot in the tenth minute or so, 
it was it was kind of pretty much even Stephen really uh, quite scrappy in places but that shot from distance it seemed to wobble a bit doesn't it I mean you know Boric could only palm it away but you know in hindsight when you look at the replays and see how much the ball moves he did well to get that clear yeah I wasn't sure if it deflected off Harry Arter's toe um, and I've seen it two or three times since and I still can't work out whether it did <laughs> okay. or not but it certainly seems to to yeah like I said in the match report I think it said it moved at so it appeared to move at Ryan because it wasn't quite that extreme, but yeah, it was it was definitely um, a difficult one for our our keeper to keep his eye on, but he did well. Yeah, so Benikafobe, as you say, he he he's been starting to link up really well with Josh King, and they they, they both manufactured that chance where um, Benikafobe was approaching the left wing, and then just played it forward to Josh King on the run, and then as he approached the you know, the goalie from the apex, he sort of ran in at an angle. He didn't really have much support. And how unlucky was that? I mean, one of the tweeters said it would have been the goal of the season, but crossbar and post, I've I've not seen that in a long time. Yeah, it was superb. I should go back. I think I said that a phobia was instrumental in the goal. What I meant was there was that chance I was referring to. Mm. Um, yeah, he was instrumental in that chance. <clears throat> and yeah, it was <laughs> really unlucky. And it was, I expected it to be a bit more... Um, a bit more of a, an extreme reaction from the commentators in the, yeah. when I watched it and on Match of the Day as well. But they just said, oh, it's bounced off, the, bounced off the post and gone into his arms. It bounced off the crossbar, then the post, summing up our luck with the woodwork this season. <laughs> and uh, it deserved to go in, to be honest. It went straight into Pickford's arms as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just really unlucky. And I think I saw someone tweeted today where... We're fourth in Europe, I think, behind yeah. Real and maybe Juventus and uh, Tottenham or someone, you know, for, for, for hitting the woodwork. If some of those goals had gone in, well, if some buts, but yeah, we'd be, be, be a little bit higher at the table. Yeah, that's right. So just moments after, you can see why um, some supporters have got doubts over Simon Francis, because he got he got out-muscled quite easily by Nietzsche B. Uh, and I know the shot came to nothing. Uh, well, according to the ref, it wasn't handball. But um, what are your thoughts on Simon Francis? Because recently he's taken a little bit of stick, even though we've been winning. People are now saying that, you know, a, a player who was once player of the season and once our strongest link defence is, is now one of the weakest. Um, I'm probably largely in the pro-Francis camp. Um, I think that the criticism that I've seen has surprised me in some ways. I mean, Cook's had an excellent season. He's had a better season than Francis's. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, I think Francis has done okay. There's been times when he's made glaring errors. The one against Crystal Palace sticks out. and yeah. uh, But I think overall, he's done a good job. Um, he's also had his captaincy criticised. He's not enough of a leader. He's definitely not a Tommy, Tommy Elphick-style leader. No. Um, we were lucky with Tommy in terms of his leadership and in terms of his his, um, his talents as a player. But unfortunately, I think his pace wasn't yeah. quite up to it in the Premier League. Um, I do miss him, though. Um, but now I think Frano's probably um, had a bit more flack than he actually deserves. Uh, we did go through a bad spell of conceding goals, but, you know, he wasn't the only person playing defence. Since we've had what is, I guess, our regular back four, Mm. Um, which has been playing recently back in. I think they've all done okay. Yeah. It's tough. We played against some really good players. But if you look at the the clean sheets and the the other results we've had, I mean, obviously Spurs and Chelsea, but everybody ships goals to them, particularly teams of our of our size. That's no surprise. Overall, I think he's done quite well. Um, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if his place is under threat next season, either from Tyrone Mings or mm. from Eddie doing something in the market. 
Um, but Eddie's very loyal. And, yeah, you know, he might, he might stick with him. And I don't think it's blind loyalty. But then again, I mean, Eddie must have said to Tommy, I forget that, you know, well, this time last year or maybe a little bit further on into the year, you know, you, you can, you're welcome to stay here, uh, stay and fight for your place, but I can't guarantee you first team football. So Eddie will yeah. give him that. He won't just kick him out. But I mean, I hope Frano stays, uh, even yeah. if it's on the bench. And I'm, I'm not too, too down on him. He had a lot of trouble with Anichby in the last Sunderland game. It was Anichby that was really the difference in the yeah, last that's game. that's right. Uh, but not so much in this game. I was kind of thinking, oh, he's going to play. You know, that he's blinded that he has once every six months against us. But he didn't. He didn't feature so much. So you know, Francis must have been doing something right. Yeah, that's what I think. Like a referee, you you sort of only notice the bad bits um, with Francis. You know, our defence as a whole. Um, I you know don't uh, sort of take your breath away. But you know, Steve Cook, you know, is probably one that. Uh, you know, maybe errs on that side. But Simon Francis, you know, he does a good job, I think. And then obviously when you do have the mistakes, that's when you get a lot of criticism. I mean, now Arta Boric, I mean, he, he kept us in the game at times on Saturday and there were, it was a, it was only two months ago. Obviously it coincided with our bad run of form where people were saying he needs to get lost, get out of the club, go away. I'm saying it in a uh, less terse way than what people were saying online. <laughs> um, but Sunderland... Sunderland had a spell of possession which um, ultimately resulted in that Defoe shot and you know I was just on the highlights on match of the day I thought you know Boric really did sort of keep us in it but I'll tell you what that would have been some goal if Defoe where the ball sort of came over his head and he took it on the volley thankfully it went down the throat of Boric now he probably needs to take some tips from Alex Deutsch who plays anti-football on a Tuesday night because he scored an absolute worldie when it came over his head but um (laughs) Defoe uh, was thwarted by Arta Boric um, a number of times. Now, we'll get your opinions on Jermaine Defoe a little bit later on in the show. But um, the game didn't really seem to sort of swing either way. And I mean, if you look at match of the day, at least, it looks like Sunday, it was like six chances to Sunderland, two to Bournemouth. Was that Was that sort of a right gauge on how the game went? It was quite a, <clears throat> it was quite an even contest. Mm. Um, it was yeah, it was uh, well, I was, I was going to say end to end stuff, but that makes it sound like a more attractive game than it actually was. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was fair. I'm not sure. I'm, I can't remember what the stats were, but it seemed to be like both teams were having an even amount of possession and an even amount of chances. Although sometimes the chances are blocked so they don't always make the stats as shots on target and shots off target and stuff like that although your heart's in your mouth at the time Mm. um yeah so uh, i saw the whole game and there were spells in the game when we were on top uh there was spells in the game when Sunderland on top uh overall it probably would have been a fair result had it been a draw boris did make some decent saves i mean defoe should have scored that one yeah uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's easy but a swiker of his quality and it is inside the six yard box i think when he struck it if he wasn't he was just outside um and barini had another chance and uh, in the second half uh, but you know pickford he's a good goalkeeper and he kept us at bay at times and we were unlucky with that double woodwork one that we've yeah. already discussed so yeah draw probably would have been a fair result but I guess from our point of view, that doesn't really matter. Who cares? We got the points and, <laughs> you know, I'm not sort of rubbing Sunderland's noses in it, but you travel away and win a game. It doesn't really matter how you get it, does it? No, that's right. So in the 76th minute, uh, 
players from both sides were involved in that altercation when uh, Barini challenged Lewis Cook from behind. Now, today it's been announced from the FA that Sunderland and Bournemouth have been charged with failing to control their players after uh, that challenge. And, you know, you saw what what happened. The FA said uh, the clubs failed to ensure that their players conducted themselves in an orderly fashion. You saw sort of Harry Arter running over and giving players a shove. I mean, what was your uh, immediate reaction to the tackle? I mean, what what happened there? Um, well, my immediate reaction was surprised that it all went off. Uh, well, that's, actually, it didn't all go off. There was a bit of pushing and shoving. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really that bad, although it doesn't cover us in glory. No. Um, but the, when I saw the, the challenge again... Um, it was Barini, wasn't it? His trailing yeah. foot ran down the back of Cook's calf. I don't know if it was deliberate or not, but that was clearly what Harry Arter saw. Yeah. And then he he ran over and he just... He, he's, I've seen him do this before. He leans over the player on the ground <laughs> and then starts giving them the verbals. Um, and then after that, there was a little bit of a dust-up and I don't think there was much to it. The only thing I saw was Kone having his hands on Cook and Francis's neck. Yeah. Um, and I, that hasn't really seemed to... I saw a bit on Twitter from our fans about that. I guess the FA will look at the incident in detail and look at the tape and see what happened and all that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe Kone will get some kind of retrospective punishment because that's not really OK. Uh, it depends how strict they are. Both clubs might get a fine. Yeah, it didn't seem that serious. I didn't sort of like I said. I don't think it covered us in glory, but I wasn't sort of thinking afterwards. You know, that was a bit of a, a shameful incident for the club. It was. It was pretty. Well, as I said, you know, in the in the match report, it was handbags, really, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Completely agree. Well, so you know, if um, if league table positions define games, the right result happened one nil, and it was that king goal. Uh, really good for Mousse to get in on the action. Played in Fraser, as you said in your report, and then King calmly slotted home now you said it was an easy finish but i'll tell you what i've had them before when playing football and that for me they are so easy to go wrong either you miss hit it or they go through your legs or over the bar but and you said initially that you thought it was in the side netting didn't you yeah yeah well, i watched it on a stream uh, a legal one as you can imagine of course um and um i watched it with my two boys and yeah i had my head in his hand in, in my head in his hands i had my head in my hands i yeah. thought we'd missed yeah. I thought it had gone in, gone in the outside netting and run along the back of the goal. It was only when my 10-year-old was shaking me and shouting, we've scored, Dad, <laughs> it's in. <laughs> and then I looked up and saw King wheeling away that I was able to to uh, join in the celebrations that were breaking out in my front room. Um, yeah, uh, they are. I mean, you know, you see easy chances missed all the time. And, yeah. you know, he did well. He actually didn't have a massive gap between Pickford and the post to put the ball into. And he had to get it right first time. But I guess for him, it was a chance that he would have, you know, but it would have been a glaring miss had he missed it. But um, yeah. he didn't. And, and, and yeah, more... More power to him. He's he's just been yeah. he's just been superb, hasn't he? He really has. Is I think you know it just shows his confidence that he does uh, take that first time. Whereas other players who maybe uh, you know wouldn't be as confident may take a touch then. But no, it was a good finish. It was good to see Mousse so animated in the celebration as well because when he's been on the pitch and we've scored before, he kind of. I don't know, he doesn't really smile, but he was genuinely really happy. And it kind of makes me think, well, you know, maybe he could be pivotal for us uh, next season. But we'll chat 
a bit later on about Musset and if he's going to um, take Benekafobe's place, perhaps. But um, before that, I mean, yeah, we've got three games left, nine points up for, for grabs. Who, who knows where it's going to lead? Um, coming up, Michael and I are going to preview Saturday's game at the Vitality. Will Musset start? We never know. Uh, before that, though, it's been a busy week at Dean Corps, and here's what's been going on. So it's been a very busy week for AFC Bournemouth news-wise. I love that video that they did for the kit deal. Umbro are going to be making the kit, the training tops and all that jazz from next season. There's rumours circulating online about Josh King's future, but also the future of Jermaine Defoe. Earlier in the week, the youth side sadly went down on penalties to Basingstoke. So we talk about the under-21s. And also, it's great to hear that the club are getting a brand new website and it is only around about a month and a bit away. So, let's get started. So yeah, that's what's been going on this week. It's been um, pretty busy news-wise. As for the youth side, uh, great to see us get into the final, albeit losing, as I said, to Basingstoke on penalties um michael i just wanted to ask you you know players like ollie harfield and sam surridge i mean they're doing really well in their sort of respective under 21s uh, do you think these players can challenge for a premier league squad position because i've seen these players in the flesh and they are quality i mean sam surridge is an excellent striker ollie's a great left back um, matt worthington in midfield is also an exceptional player but what do you envisage is the path ahead for these guys I mean can they realistically pressure for that sort of uh, Premier League squad position next season I don't know it's hard to tell obviously in the old days when we were up against it financially mm. it was much easier I mean that's how Eddie Howe got into the team initially and, and loads of other players yeah. came came through the ranks in a similar way now well, we're just kind of awash with money. We can go out and buy, not necessarily a ready-made player, but a player who's played at least in the championship and has done well, mm-hmm. possibly an experienced, older Premier League player. Uh, so it's hard for these guys to get their chance. Um, and it's also hard if they do get the chance, like in the cup or whatever, they just get one game. Yeah. So sometimes you might need three or four games to, to get into the swing of it, as it were. Um Bailey Cargill is coming through. Yeah. And when we talked about Francis earlier, I forgot about him. Um, and he, he's, well, he played well in the spell when he was on against Man United. He's always done quite well when I've seen him. Um, but I think that there's other things that can happen, yeah. obviously. Players can go out on loan and that can improve their game. And I know a lot of them have been out to teams uh, in non-league, like in the in the conference and also leagues one and two uh, and ultimately, well, not ultimately, but if they don't make it with us, they can go on and make a career perhaps in the lower leagues. Yeah. And I have, I mean, I don't know if we're doing this or not, although, well, it does makes it, uh, it doesn't maybe reflect on us if we are, but I think a lot of clubs do it is that that clubs kind of have the youth system because they know it can make the money down the line in terms of they're just selling the players off to, um, you know, clubs in the lower leagues and they might get 
a million or maybe even just half a million, but it covers their investment. They make a bit of money out of it, and it's almost like a farm system, yeah. um, which makes it sound a bit, well, inhuman. Well, it's not really. I mean, they're no. just they're getting their chance. But um, So I guess that – and that's fair enough if the players do make a career in the game but at a lower level because some of them, some of those lads must have joined up when they were – you know, my son's age, maybe even younger, mm. and gone through the whole youth system. When they started, we were probably in League Two. So who was to know we were going to end up in the Premier League? Mm. Yeah, it's just a shame that the sort of under-21s development squad, whatever you want to call it, haven't really got the sort of competitive fixtures where Eddie can really trial them. We're just limited to sort of cup matches. And then when it sort of comes to an end like it did so soon, like at Preston in the League Cup and then at Millwall, it's... It's very difficult for these players to get a chance with the Premier League being such a, you know, so vital money-wise. It's it's very difficult. And you can see why teams like Chelsea and, and all that lot, uh, you know, they're in a perilous financial position in terms of, well, I won't say perilous, but, you know, money is their be-all and end-all. And you can see why um, with their sort of global fan base that it's, a very, it's very tough for them to give youth a chance. Um, but speaking of money... We've got this new kit deal now that uh, we mentioned. So JD are out and Umbro are in. It was a, I thought the actual promotional video was it was it was an excellent concept. Uh, uh, you know, bringing the sand in from the beach and then creating that sort of uh, that sand monument of the AFC Bournemouth crest and the Umbro logo. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, are you are you expecting some beauties? And and also, what do you want our away colour to be? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I thought the um the sand thing was a good idea. Is it? It was novel and it caught people's attention. Yeah. Um, so yeah, four marks for them for that. And it, I guess it was it was a cheap publicity stunt as well. It yeah. can't have cost that much to put together. Um, in terms of what I want from the kit, well, I'm a middle-aged man, Sam. So I want us to have traditional red and black stripes, yeah. not too much messing about with the traditional kit. I saw somebody put one together that they did themselves which someone thought was the real kit where the, 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 the red and black stripes faded about two thirds of the way down the shirt into just a sort of black bit at the bottom of the shirt. I don't really want any of that. Although no. I guess it's, you know, it's not the end of the world, but yeah, the, the more in keeping with our traditional kit, the better the away kit. Um, well, I never buy away kits. If I do buy a shirt, I always buy the home shirt. Yeah. Um, I, I think the ones this season have been okay. Sometimes you get a bit superstitious about kits. The lime green kit, I've been a bit superstitious about that this yeah, season. Thinking that wasn't a, wasn't a very lucky kit. Yeah. Um, I quite like the blue. Um, we've had success in it. Obviously, that was the shirt we wore when we won the championship. So much like the England had, well, I don't think we do have the red away kit anymore. But, um, you know, for about 50 years, England wore that red away shirt because that was the one they used in the World Cup final. So it'd be quite nice to, to stick with the blue. Yeah. Um, and also there's a... there's always a little bit of a lobby for the for the the black and green number as well yeah. but that isn't really that different from our home show i mean obviously one color is different but the other color is the same yeah so i don't know if that, if, if that's going to happen i mean as long as it's not some kind of horrendous <laughs> psychedelic sort of early 90s we don't want that. Outrage, which we have had yeah, we have. Past, um yeah i'm, I'm I'm good. So, um, yeah, just as long as we stick stick with the red and black stripes, I'm happy. Yeah, good stuff. Now, uh, turning our attention to um, the new AFCB website, we just mentioned that briefly. Um, it's going to be launching in June or July, which sees the end to Cherry's Player as we know it. We got an email to say that if you've got a subscription, it's going to be uh, finishing soon. Now, 
I know that Anthony, the media guy at AFCB, and his team are working really hard to get things sorted. Um, there was actually a focus group earlier in the a couple of months ago where fans chatted about the site and what they want to see. They're working with a company called Stadion, um, and that's going to be the club's new digital platform partner. They do Newcastle United uh, and a number of other Premier League clubs. So looking forward to that. And also, as we said earlier, the Back of the Net End of Season Awards will be launched very soon soon and I can imagine the player of the season award is going to be hotly contested now I reckon that in many people's eyes it's going to be between two players so Michael dare I ask if you had to make a vote now for player of the season (laughs) who would get your vote um well I think the two players you're referring to are Steve Cook and Josh King correct yeah um (laughs) my vote would go to Cook yeah. Um, although King, well, if he wins, there's a, there's usually a few uh, of them awarded uh, at the end of the season now, isn't there? There's yes. not just one. Um, you know, I, I, maybe it'd be nice if he got at least one of those. Cook's just had a solid season. Every week, he's had a seven or eight out of ten performance. Mm. Um, he's cut. I don't want to put the, the voodoo sign on him, but he's cut a lot of the mistakes out of his game. Um, he's very athletic, you know, in a way he can just block and get into challenges. And uh, I mean, I don't think he's really been, I don't know how many bookings he's picked up, but you know, he hasn't missed a minute of the premier league season so far. And hopefully he'll go through the whole thing. And he's just been uh, Titanic really. And I'm a little bit worried as I am with Josh King, that there might maybe some other clubs sniffing around this summer uh, for those two. Um, Yeah. My vote would, would go to King, but uh, sorry to cook, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge King uh, an award or two either. Cause he's, he's had a brilliant season, especially, especially the second half. Yeah. I agree that, um, I don't know. I just feel as though we're in danger of losing Josh. I don't know why. Um, and also, I, weirdly, I don't quite have the fear about Steve Cook leaving that I do about Josh Ki- um, than I do with Josh King. I, I think it's. I think it's possibly because Steve Cook just looks so happy here, and his his passion for the club is clear to be seen, mm-hmm. and he's got a good family life here. But Josh King is is still a little bit of a mystery to me. I, I don't know, and it and it and it also scares me that his sort of rate of scoring you know goals may also be uh sort of in correlation to his ambition to play at a bigger club i don't know i'm i'm probably talking um a load of rubbish now uh, another rumor that surfaced jermaine defoe what will be next for him bournemouth apparently in the front runners uh you know to sign him um would you be wanting to see him in a cherry shirt again yeah i think so um i think he'd be good for 10 to 12 goals a season which would help out obviously um, we don't know who we're going to play up front next season. Uh, hopefully it will be King. Um, maybe Fabi will be chosen to play alongside him. Uh, if that is the case, then I'll be happy with that. And if Defoe is also at the club on the bench or maybe starting in a Fobate's place, then I think that'd be all good. I mean, what is he, 34, 35? But yeah. he's still in good shape. Uh, he's proved... I, mean, I think I mean, he's got 14 this season. Well, he hasn't scored for ages, actually. I don't think he's scored since that time when... Um, I mean, this I know he scored for England, but since um, Palace beat Sunderland, yeah, right. uh, Sunderland beat Palace 4-0, that was the last game he scored in, um, which is ages ago. But you would think, uh, and we need only consult the, the woodwork table for this, the amount of ch- chances that we, that we create and, you know, the, the, the goal-scoring prowess that he has, which... He's obviously demonstrated at our club before, but also, you know, at the top level. Yeah, it'd be, be good to get him in. Um, he's certainly got the um, 
the fans on his side from day one, he would have. Um, and I suppose wages would be perhaps a bit of an issue. But then this is our third season in the Premier League. We can't, I guess, think that we can afford to stay in the league without paying out decent yeah. wages for decent players. I, I remember when he went to um, Toronto, yeah. I read he was on 60 grand a week. Um, so, I mean, it's a huge amount of money, but it's not massive money for a Premier League footballer. No. So I guess he's probably on something similar at Sunderland and, um, you know, may, maybe the same hours or maybe a, a little bit less. But yeah, I think we get a good year or two out of him. Oh, that would be ideal, having sort of Benneke Fobe, uh, Callum Wilson when he returns, Sam Surridge maybe, who knows, least we say, uh, Josh King up front, wow, plenty of options. Uh, speaking um, of Josh King, surely he's going to be one of the favourites, as we mentioned, for a back-of-the-net end-of-season award. So, here's some more information about the categories. Last season, Back of the Net held its end-of-season awards, where we asked you to log on to our website and vote on 10 questions which represented the good, the bad and the ugly on the 2015-16 season. Last time, we got an amazing number of votes through, where we discovered the player of the season, goal of the season, best atmosphere and many, many more. Well, today, we launched the 2016-17 awards and on this show... We're announcing the categories. Now, as per last season, the vote is completely unrestricted. So starting next week, we'll be getting your preliminary opinions in via Twitter. If you're not following us, follow at AFCB Podcast and we'll post the categories on a daily basis. We'll be reading the replies, of course. We'll then refine the top four answers for each category and then we'll actually get the voting show on the road very soon after on our website which is AFCB Podcast so just remember follow at AFCB Podcast on Twitter but I'm sure you're all keen to know the categories for the 2016-17 end of season awards are The Assist of the Season Goal of the season. The best stadium visited. The best chance. The best atmosphere. Save of the season. Match of the season. Most improved player of the season. Supporter of the Year Player of the Season So keep an eye on our Twitter feed as the week goes on. As soon we'll be posing the questions and we would love your feedback. 
Then, not too long afterwards, we'll be releasing the voting page on our website for you to go and register your thoughts in the Back of the Net End of Season Awards for 2016-17. We're looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Hi, I'm Michael Botto, and you're listening to Sean and Sam making some noise for the boys on Back of the Net. Yep, so make sure you continue to follow us on Twitter because we're going to be revealing more about uh, the individual categories and uh, we're going to be getting your opinion. And once we've sort of formulated which of the popular ones, we'll be given a multiple choice on the website afcbpodcast.com. So it should be an interesting one this season. Uh, now, Stoke City are visiting us. On Saturday, it is a 3pm kickoff at the Vitality Stadium and they're sitting in 12th position with 40 points, a point below us with uh, the same amount of goal difference. Their last match was uh, a 0-0 draw at home against West Ham. Uh, The last win was a 3-1 over Hull City. I'm just trying to see when they're last away win was and I'm scrolling down it was actually at Sunderland like we did and that was on January the 14th so firstly uh, Mike um, I think we can maybe predict 10 of the players but maybe not the 11th so that's Benekafobe as you said that is um, is it a hamstring injury did you say he's got yeah Eddie said after the game it was a, a, a he sort of made, made it sound slightly less serious than it was like really badly pulled hamstring. Um, but, I mean, who knows? I reckon he'll be out this week. Hopefully we'll see him again before the end of the season. I mean, a hamstring usually is at least three weeks. And if it's three, yeah, if right. it's three weeks, then we probably won't see him again. Um, yeah, no, I don't know what he's going to do. Will he play King up front on his own? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did bring Moussa in and give him a go. Yeah. Um, he seems to have done all right when he's come on. Um, and we are all but safe um, and it will give them an opportunity uh, and I think that against an opposition like Stoke I'm not saying we're going to win the game but you could look at that and think we've, we've been playing really well you know yeah. I think we've had nine like, since that Man United game it's been nine games and we've only lost two of them against the two top teams in the league and we've picked up something like 15 points which is which is really good form um, Stoke have been a bit on the slide um, I think they've only won. You mentioned that win they had. I think that's that they've had one win in in the past eight games, and I think they've yeah. lost they've lost about five of those. Uh, so I think that if if Musa is going to get an opportunity to to get a start or maybe more than one start, then then these are the you know the sort of ideal conditions for him him yeah. to come into the team, and and it'd be good because I think I read uh, someone posted about this on Vitals how you know the injuries are unfortunate, Gosling and Afobe and Wilshire as well, obviously. But it gives Cook, uh, Lewis Cook, and you know potentially Moussey a chance to have a little run in the team. And you know you, you get into a team, I think at all levels, certainly in the Premier League, if you you know it's, it's a long time and you have to be really patient. But you you can get some good fortune from uh, well others' misfortune, and 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 then once you've got the shirt and you're doing well and if the team's winning, then, you know, you've got every right to expect to stay in the team. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to see him play a few games because I think he looks like he's got talent and I guess Eddie's just been trying to uh, coach him into into understanding how we play. And, uh, yeah, so, so I, I, yeah, I definitely would like to see him start. Yeah, me too. I mean, I was wondering if he was going to do the five midfield, but I was, I was thinking to myself, who who would be uh, that for, for that fifth player given we're short of 
central midfielders. I know that sometimes um, Eddie's put Stanislas mm, in, and yeah. you, there's like people like Pugh and Fraser. So you've effectively got three wingers. But I don't, you know, I know that one pushes forward, but I don't know. I, I would like to see Lees, um play up front as well. Um, there's there's certainly positive vibes going around um, at the moment. Ian McDowell on Twitter said, "Let's push for eight place for little old Bournemouth uh, Patrick Devitt said great feeling that the Cherries have reached the 40 point mark technically uh, technically 41 as of now but they aren't done yet now that was uh, during the game um, now uh, he said with Stoke Burnley and Leicester left I believe 45 points is an attainable goal for the season who knows um, also referred to the fact that in February it was relegation talk and in April King has 15 goals Cherries in the Premier League top 10 and as you said Eddie Howe is the king of spring um, <laughs> what's your prediction for uh, for this match then Michael uh, <laughs> as you know I hate doing predictions sorry um, to do this so I normally I normally try and weasel my way out of it so I'm going to go for a draw one all uh, Lisa Mousset scoring um, and uh, I think uh, that isn't a very firm prediction I think it's a game we could win we owe Stoke a bit after the way they turned us over last year down here yeah. I think uh, Shakiri's still dizzy from that tumbling rolling dive <laughs> that he did um, but then again yes. I think they feel uh, I saw something last night on the internet their fans certainly feel that they owe, owe us after we beat them up there they, I, I went to that game and we did <laughs> We did mm. waste quite a lot of time. I remember Callum Wilson getting the ball from the crowd for oh, yeah, it, and then right. just throwing it straight back into the crowd. <laughs> so, brilliant. Yeah, a little bit of a sort of couple of subplots to make the game a little bit more interesting. Um, yeah, I think I think 45 points is an attainable goal. And, you know, what a, what a magnificent achievement that would be uh, to finish higher again if, you know, we'd think that would finish us higher than 16th place, which we were last season. Obviously, a higher points total something like the fourth year on yeah. the spin that Eddie's taken us, you know, to our, our record highest finish. And, you know, we can't really lose sight of that, even though you do get a little bit used to being in the Premier League uh, and it becomes less of a, like, it feels less like the FA Cup third round every week, which it did at the yes. start um, of, of, of the previous season and, and more just it's just just kind of business and, and we're in the business of you know trying to stay in the league and then trying to do well in the league um, yeah. but yeah the bigger picture is that you know we've done fantastic and I was yeah looking at that game against Leicester the last day of the season in February and thinking that could be a kind of relegation decider and that would be one of those ones that's on survival Sunday on Sky and we'll all be biting <laughs> our nails and uh, luckily that hasn't happened both teams have, have, have pulled away from it and um, yeah, I mean, if we could get a win on Saturday, get up to 44 points, then we'd have pretty much, well, we would have bettered last season's points total, and I would think we'd have we'd have bettered our position as well, and there'd still be six points to play for. So yeah, it'd be great to have such a positive end to the season. Yeah, no, it really would. I've, I've got a feeling this match. I'm so, I, I mean, I'm going for a two-nil Bournemouth. Um, I've got a feeling it's going to be fairly similar to the Swansea home match this season. Um, you know, basically a non-event uh, apart from two goals. And I've got a feeling that uh, Lise Mousset, as you say, is going to get on on the score sheet. And I'm fancying someone a bit a bit left field to to score our first, like Simon Francis or something like that. Mm. I don't know. I, I'm not too sure where that one is uh, is coming from. But anyway, uh, Michael, just want to say thank you very much uh, for coming onto the podcast again. That's an absolute pleasure, Sam. And I just wanted to say as the season draws to a close, 
well done to you and Sean for all your hard work this season. Um, you've been like a Josh King and Benica Fobe up front, and I've just come in off the subs bench from time to time like Lisa Mousset. So, uh, yeah, full marks <laughs> to you guys, because I know it's hard work doing a podcast and you've done a brilliant job. Oh, thank you very much. Really appreciate those kind words. I think I'm probably more of the Benicophobe. I think uh, Josh, King, uh, Josh King is Mr. Sean Barker there. <laughs> but um, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we're looking to looking forward to hearing more of your match reports. Hi, this is the biggin, Steve Fletcher, and you're listening to Back of the Net. So there we go. That's another episode of Back of the Net in the Bank. Uh, wonder if we'll get to fifty by the end of the season. I'm just trying to work it out. Well, unfortunately, uh, we we may do. Who knows? Now we can't forget. Do you remember? Now at the start of the show, it was a clip that we got together from YouTube, and it was an FA Cup match from back in 2008. Now, as I said, it was live on Satanta Sports. Whatever happened to them, eh? But, yeah, I'll give you the answers now. Firstly, I asked you to name the team. The team we played was Blythe Spartans. Congratulations if you got that right. The first leg was nil-nil at Dean Court or the Seawood Stadium or the Classic High Stadium. What even was it at the time? Who knows? Uh, we threw the kitchen sink at them but couldn't finish for Toffee. I don't know how we managed to draw that one. In the replay, Blythe Spartans won 1-0. It was a last-minute goal for them. Again, it was a match that was live on Satanta. And Brett Pittman, he came on as a sub on 56 minutes and got sent off three minutes later. Thanks to Ian on Twitter who pointed that one out for us. Is it the fastest AFC Bournemouth sending off? Oh, who knows but oh those were dark days but anyway thank you very much now I've got to say um, do follow us on Instagram instagram.com slash AFCB podcast or just search the username AFCB podcast because we'd love to have you on there and do remember like I said at the very start of the show uh, your input is crucial to whether we're going to be doing this next season so if you can help out in any way um, do send us an email fans at afcbpodcast.com and even if you if you've got a company that you know would like to sponsor it um, we'd be keen to have a sponsor we get uh, over a thousand well sometimes over two thousand listens per show and um, of course if we get sponsorship we're, we're keen to spread the wealth with any contributors so um, we certainly would love to get you involved now I've got to say uh, a big hello to uh, Tom Alexander He's an AFC Bournemouth fan, and um, his friend Blake and him listen to uh, the podcast every week. So, Tom, thank you very much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Spread the word. Do tell your friends. And thank you, as with everyone, for listening to another episode of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Steve Cook with the throw. Swept goalish by Daniels. And back in by Arter. And it's finished by Josh King. Bournemouth bring problems for Liverpool again. They strike Lake again. And Bournemouth are level at Anfield.
Sports Social Podcast Network.